If you want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, maybe 4 tonight, we'll see how far we get. But Acts 3 for sure, and we'll pray and get started. Lord, we thank you for letting us come together and open your word to spend time worshiping you, uh, praising you for all that you are, receiving refreshment from you as, you as you say that times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord, and we definitely need that, whether that's from heat or just the trials of the world or just um, just life. It's a, it's a struggle. It's a constant battle down here, and sometimes we need refreshment. And we pray for that tonight, for the kids, um, for the adults, for the parents, for the singles, for the married. Um, we just pray for that. So Lord, come and meet us. Um, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit as we talk about um, that very fact. Help us to understand your word tonight as we go through it, to believe it, to hold on to it, um, and that it might change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples, 120 of them in the upper room. What a moment that was. It's a continuing moment. As Peter described it as, this is what you're seeing. As he gave his first sermon to the 3,000 people that got saved, what you're seeing here, what you're witnessing, is God pouring out his Holy Spirit upon all flesh. And that is continual. It's not a one-time event. Some try to teach that, that it was just for the apostles. And after that, it's, it's kind of done with. No, it's continuing and goes on and on and on. To every believer, and that's what this book teaches us. The book of Acts continues on to this day. We are in the book of Acts. It just hasn't been written, hasn't been documented. As the Holy Spirit was poured out on those 120, every subsequent believer after that is being filled with the Holy Spirit and continues to be filled with the Holy Spirit at different moments and times in their life as the Scripture teaches us that, all of it. A couple things we need to start off with, I believe, tonight was in John chapter 20, verses 21 through 22, then Acts chapter 2, verse 4, then Acts chapter 4, verses 31 through 32. I put those out there so you can kind of know where we're headed here, but these are moments when the Holy Spirit falls upon believers, and it's the same group in all three passages. Before Jesus' ascension that we just read about in Acts chapter 1, John documents a moment with Jesus in a room. And it says this, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Later on, as we discussed two weeks ago, Acts chapter 2, and they were, same they, in John 20, were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's the second time, same group of people. And then we'll hit this maybe tonight, maybe next week. Acts chapter 4, verses 31 through 32. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. The book of Acts is not the Acts of the Apostles. I think I taught that, and we studied that in the very first chapter. The book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the church. Luke wanted to make it very clear as he wrote this book of Acts. This is a continuation just as he ended his book with the promise is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the promise from above. Acts is that book. This is what Jesus was talking about. We can do nothing in power, in the power of God, without the filling of the Holy Spirit. I imagine many of you felt a little bit of spiritual warfare this week, or even today before you got here. Um, anytime we begin to speak about the Holy Spirit and the power that he gives the church, there is always an attack on people to not hear that. Always. Without fail. In my 20 plus years of ministry here at Calvary Chapel Maryville, whenever we are about to teach something this important, this powerful, inevitably many get taken out so they can't hear this. 
Because it would be wonderful, Satan, in his thought process, if I can neutralize the church into believing that there is nothing for them, that it's in their strength that they do these things, it's in their efforts and trial and begin to believe that Christianity is a philosophy that needs to be implemented, a series of uh, steps that need to be taken, that he can wipe us out. We become ineffective in this world. The last day's church is going to have a little bit of power, it says, and we've, I've alluded to this several times. I hope it's not the fact that we just have a little bit of the Holy Spirit or believe a little bit of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but it seems the more I interact with more and more Christians from different denominations or even within our denomination of Calvary Chapel, it's not one, but it, it kind of is. Fewer and fewer are relying on the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. We've begun in the Spirit. We have to finish in the Spirit. Paul made that very clear. In fact, it was a problem with the first century church. Did you begin in the flesh? Or did you begin in the Spirit? What makes you think you're going to finish in the flesh? We have to finish in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit that drew me to Jesus then wants to fill me with Him that I might be endued with power from on high to continue the ministry that Christ did on this earth. It's a very important part of our walk. It's not a salvation issue necessarily. Believing in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life is not a salvation issue. It is, though, a victorious issue. Many people, many Christians are so frustrated with their attempts and trying to stop sinning and to not do this and to go for that. And over and over again in the New Testament, it says, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It has never been about just work on not doing the lust of the flesh. Whatever you do, stop doing the lust of the flesh. Focus. Our mind then is consumed with what? The flesh and what it wants and saying no. If I would pack myself with a full of healthy vegetables and, and solid low-fat meats maybe in my life, I wouldn't go for the bag of Doritos. It's a funny way of putting it, but if I would fill myself with the Holy Spirit, in other words, I would walk in the Spirit, think about the things of the Spirit, I don't have time to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But Satan would love for us to be so focused on ourselves in our own walk, that we'd never reach out to other people because we haven't got a handle on it ourselves yet. How in the world can I possibly tell somebody else? And it neutralizes the church and their effectiveness in this world. As you read through this book of Acts, as we go through this together, I want you to see how powerful the church is despite their holiness. We've tried to apply that to the absence of the Holy Spirit. What is it in the church? Why isn't the Holy Spirit active and moving? We're just not holy. We're allowing too much sin into the church. Could be. I'm all for not sinning. I'm all for holiness. I think God says it very clearly. We are to be holy for he is holy. In no way, shape, or form are we to be friendly with sin. But I don't know that that absolutely wipes us out from being used by the Holy Spirit. In fact, we're going to read that tonight. Peter is going to say those exact words. What makes you think that it's our power or our godliness that has healed this man today? Peter's very humble. He's very well aware of who he is. And yet he, by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in humility, that's the key, I think, said, rise, I don't have silver or gold, but I want you to walk. Jesus is going to heal you. And the guy, guy gets healed. I start off that because when we go through the book of Acts, I want you to think about that. Every time something amazing happens in the book of Acts, it's the work of the Holy Spirit through believers. You never see just a really well-organized machine in the book of Acts. In fact, you see the opposite of that. You see a church that's a little confused. They're figuring it out. And yet at Peter's first sermon, they come out babbling, speaking in other languages under the power of the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people get saved. 
That's better than 20 years at Calvary Chapel. In tonight's teaching, we're going to see 5,000 people get saved. That is second sermon, and it's not that much better. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that people are getting saved by. Not necessarily Peter's eloquence or his degrees in Scripture. So if you're feeling beat down and you're feeling like your Christianity or your walk with Jesus has become da 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 which you can sometimes, I hope we snap out of it a little bit tonight because you can change that tonight, if not tomorrow morning when you wake up and you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and you exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he's given you. It's a choice. It's a choice every one of us has to make. Will I exercise the gift of the Holy Spirit that he's given me? Will I actually use it and trust that he's given me this gift? I'm going to do it. It takes faith. Verse 1, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted it up, up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, he leaping up, stood and walked in, uh, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It's not Peter. It's not John. It's not a well-organized machine. It was a moment where Peter had no intention of healing anybody that day, was simply going to pray, which was he's on his way to do the right thing. He's on the right path. I think that's key. And feeling this overwhelming sense of, I'm not going to walk by this guy. I feel like something's supposed to happen here. Look at me. He looks at him. I think you're supposed to walk. And he grabs him by the hand and stands him up, but he walks. There's no way to explain it, and you can't pigeonhole it. We like to do that. Okay, so I'm looking for guys at a beautiful gate, and they need to be, you know, we try to categorize it. No, it was just that moment. And everybody knew it. This was not one of those moments that you see on TV where you're not so sure the guy in the wheelchair has always been in a wheelchair, you know? Like maybe it's Bob the Deacon who, you know, whatever, hurt his ankle last weekend and decided to roll down the aisle in front of everybody and they caught him to rise up and he has a brace on and he's hopping and leaping and everything. And, oh, good job, Bob. Uh, that does so much harm. And every, I see a lot of people going, mm-hmm, you've seen it. And because that's on TV and so many people see that, they think, not me, man. Not going to fall for that garbage. And then we never heal people as a body of believers. We never see that moment. We never see the guy. We never take that step and ask him. It doesn't have to be on TV. It could be just you one-on-one with somebody. Nobody has to know it all. In fact, that's probably preferable. So that they do continue to rise up jump and leap and praise God and nobody knows you were involved at all and you just walk off into the alleyway or the sunset or whatever and nobody knows who that was. This happened, it's real, and it's still for today. And it's a shame that we don't do more of it or we don't see it more often. I know very few people that have the gift of healing from God on a continual basis. Day in and day out, you know? Like they could do it at will. And I don't know that, I don't know. I don't think I've ever met anybody like that. 
But I do know people that have healed people in the past at given moments, at different times for different people, but haven't at other times. And I can get my doctrine so wound up in my head and since I can't figure out why some people get healed and some people don't, I can't figure out why that worked that day and that didn't work that day, that I never do it or I never look for it or I never want it. I think one of our biggest problems is that we're, and please take this gently, but we can be so prideful, we're afraid of what we'll look like if it doesn't work out like we think it's supposed to work out. What if I reach down and ask the guy to stand up and he kind of stands up and hobbles and falls back down and his legs are bad? And he doesn't get healed. I'll look stupid. Well, yeah. So what? Don't do it? That could have happened here, but Peter and John, Peter just looked at him and said, I, I don't have any silver or gold. And he didn't. He's not lying. I've seen that line used a lot. They've got silver and gold in their pocket, but they just tell the guy, I'm not going to, what they mean is, I'm not going to give you my silver and gold, but what I will do is I'll try to heal you, but I'm not going to give you my money. Uh, no, when Peter and John say this, they mean it. I mean, everything about this is genuine. We're going to pray. Didn't expect this. I get this sense that I don't have any money to go, but I, what do I have to give this guy? I have Jesus. I think you should rise up and walk. Now, they've had experience with this. They've seen this happen. I don't know. I've seen people tell me stories of, of, of things that happened in their lives. Moments where God, you felt like they, he spoke to you and you went and did something and it was amazing. I love those stories. And then I think to myself, I wonder if I could. I wonder if that could happen to me. I wonder if I could repeat that story in my life. And I'm and then I'm looking for opportunities for that event. It's funny how we think. It's okay, okay, okay. So there was there was a hitchhiker. Okay, and it's like picking up an angel, and you minister to him, and they got saved in the car, and you baptized them right over there in the ditch. That's really cool. So now what do I do? I'm looking for hitchhikers. And that's not how it works. That was then. They don't go to gates from here on out and say, and then we went to the gate called dumb or the gate called ugly. This is a gate beautiful. I'm just trying to think of gates. And we went to this gate and that gate, the sheep gate and the refuse gate and all these gates. No, it was just this moment, this time. The Holy Spirit is very much a person. He's very interested in targets. And I say that in the nicest way, but... There are specific points in time in people's lives where they're ready to hear the gospel, they have faith to hear the gospel, they're open-hearted to hear the gospel, and it's time for you to share the gospel. There are other times where it's like beating your head against a wall. There was a point in time when I got saved. I was not interested in Jesus Christ until that moment. I don't know how he warmed me up. I don't know how he softened me up. I don't exactly understand all those things that took place for 19 years, but eventually there it was, and I got saved. There were many people who ministered the gospel to me throughout my lifetime, but it was this one person at this time that by faith stepped out, and I tell you, for him, it was not normal for him to talk like this. He was struggling on his own. He was working out his own salvation. He was in a place of a brand new believer, but he was zealous, and he just looked at me and says, well, you know, how do you know you're saved? And there started the conversation. By faith, he did that. We need to do that. He received his strength. What an amazing thing. They all, they all were excited to see this, and, and why not? They haven't seen this since Jesus left. Jesus was healing people all the time. Amazing things were taking place. Jesus made it very clear that that was going to happen. In, in John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, Jesus with the disciples said this, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, though I give to you. Let not your 
heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I am going to send you a helper, a Holy Spirit, that will lead and teach you and guide you into all truth. So we've got our doctrine can be straightened out through the Holy Spirit. He'll do that. John chapter 15, verses 25 through 27. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. You're not going to be alone out there witnessing. The Holy Spirit will be out there ministering to all the hearts. Your first contact with somebody is not a cold call. I don't know if you know what that is. If you're in sales, you know what a cold call is. It's a miserable experience. It's the thousand pound phone back when we had phones on strings. To pick that phone up and to dial somebody that doesn't know you're going to call them and try to tell them about a product you have for them that they need and you've got to get it out in a certain amount of time because they're going to hang up on you and you know they don't want to hear from you. You know they've got a life. Oh, it's the hardest call in the world. Many Christians, when they're ministering Jesus Christ, consider it a cold call. Sitting on a plane with somebody, and you're like, oh, i got to make a cold call. The guy sitting next to me doesn't have earbuds in. He's ready to listen to the gospel. I really feel like the Holy Spirit. It's a cold, it's a thousand-pound gospel. You have to know this. Jesus is telling us ahead of time, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit has been working on that person sitting next to you for years. This is not a cold call. This is a confirmation He's already been talking to me. We've already been having conversations. He already need, knows he's in trouble or she's in trouble. They already know they need something different than what they're doing. What they're doing isn't working. They know all that. Now, they don't know you know that. So the conversation needs to be gentle and careful because it'd be weird if you looked over and said, I know the Holy Spirit's been talking to you. You need Jesus, don't you? You know? Mask, he needs a mask, you know, a duct tape mask. Jesus tells them that, says, not only am I going to get your doctrine straightened out when I get to you, I'm going to lead and guide you into all truth, you're okay. I'm also letting you know that I am working on every single heart out there, and they all know they need me. They're just fighting against me. Anytime you minister the gospel, it's confirmation to them or another voice John chapter 16, verses 6 through 8. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. I know you don't want me to go, Jesus said. And because I told you I'm dying, it's like I can't even break through all the sorrow in your hearts. I know you're attached to me. Believe me, if I leave, it's going to be great because I'm going to send the helper who's just like me. It's the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. It's going to be great. Trust me on that. This is that. That's what we're reading here. And this has never stopped. That's what's happening in this room. Verse 11. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, and you can understand that, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, sees everybody running at them, and they're all, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us? As though by our own power or godliness, We had made this man walk. I underlined that. I don't know where you are or where you... (laughs) It's amazing, though, when you walk in the Spirit, which could very well be ministering to somebody, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he's given you, how that helps you with your holiness. We get it reversed sometimes. I need to get holy, I need to get my life in order and things straightened out, and then I'm going to go street witnessing, or then I'm going to minister, or then I'm going to open my mouth, or then I'm going to do the gifts of the Spirit. But i I, I got to figure out John 3.16 first. 
When you begin to walk in the spirit like these guys are, they are going to grow exponentially in their own walk, personally. The church is growing exponentially, 3,000, 5,000. I mean, amazing things are happening because they're seeing the power of the Holy Spirit, that God is real. It's not a philosophy they're getting peddled. And that the words that the guys that are doing these gifts are valid or true because they're being emphasized or the exclamation point is put on the end by the work of the Holy Spirit coming through these guys. A powerless church is a powerless gospel. If I'm not changed or transformed, if I'm not walking in the Spirit, and I'm telling people, you really got to have the joy of Christ. Jesus just brings joy. Not to me today necessarily, but, you know, joy. Well, sign me up. How do I get involved in this wonderful thing that's got going on in your life? Because it looks like you're in the same place I am. In fact, worse, can I help you with anything, Mr. Christian? I don't know, Jesus, but I certainly feel better than you do right now. Can I help you? Well, (laughs) I'm sorry. We live a victorious, less life. There's no victory. We need to have victory. You can't have victory without the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's exactly what Romans 7 and Romans 8 is all about. Romans 7 is Paul saying, why can't I do the things I want to do and the things I don't, the things I want to do, I don't do. Why why is that in my life? Chapter 8, ah, but the Holy Spirit. It's a solution. No, I can't, but he can. And when I walk in him, when I walk in the spirit, I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the answer. Why are you looking at us? Don't look at us. Good job, Peter. I want, the, I want your eyes off of me. We need to get them on God. The guy is clinging to Peter and John as understandable. When you lead someone to Jesus, if you've ever had that experience before, they're super excited about you in their life. If it wasn't for Pastor J.D., I hear that. If it wasn't for Pastor J.D., I wouldn't have come to know the Lord. It's just great. His messages are so awesome. They're just great. He's so anointed. He's the Holy. I'm like, keep going. Yeah, that's right. No. It's normal to have an attachment to someone like that. I have, att- I have attachments to people like that in my life. They've been very powerful. But I know that they're wicked sinners saved by grace. I understand that. That's what this guy is. He's like, I'm just so thankful I'm walking. I'm clinging to you guys. I want, and this is the idea behind it, thank you for healing me, but I want what you guys have. How did this happen? Because you said in the name of Jesus, I want this Jesus. That's what's happening with this guy who got healed. Now, everybody else, well, the rubberneckers, if you know what that is. Whenever you come across a car accident and it's miles of traffic, you're like, what is holding him up? You say, oh, there's the car accident. And you're like, oh, it's because all the people are slowing down doing this, rubbernecking. When they've got a clear path, they could just go. The private patrolman's going, come on, come on, come on. They're going, and they're going 10 miles an hour when they could be going 30, 40. Rubberneckers. That's all these guys are. They're rubbernecking. And Peter's like, no, 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 rubberneck me. Don't look at us. Let's look at God. This guy's giving glory to God. We all need to give glory to God. So he begins to preach. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and ask for a murderer to be granted to you and kill the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance because you can see their faces. You know, this is how he's ministering to them. You killed Jesus. Even the Roman, Pontius Pilate, he wanted to let him go. And you guys killed him. You asked for a murderer, Barabbas. Yeah, we did do that. The guilt is coming up. It's by that one that you said, you know, wanted to be crucified. That's how this kid is walking around now. Or man, I don't know how old he is. Just so you understand who we're talking about. He made sure they know which Jesus, who, Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, 
he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. He's trying to explain to him that this is not unusual. This doesn't go against the doctrine you've grown up with. This is the fulfillment of all those things you were taught in synagogue. All those things that you learned in the temple or whether you learned them wherever you went. This is all true. This is nothing unusual because that's the fear for the Jew. Wait a minute. I'm excited about the miracle, but how is this going to affect me and my walk? I mean, I've grown up Jewish. And you're saying this Jesus, whom all the Jewish leaders say should be killed, you're saying it was a big mistake that they were all wrong? You can understand their apprehensions. Like, wait a minute, I don't know about this. I mean, before I take this leap, I mean, I love what happened to this guy, but you're telling me to deny everything that I've ever learned. And it's exactly why Peter's teaching this. No. You don't have to deny anything. Everything you learned was true. Everything in God's word in the Old Testament is absolutely true. All the prophets spoke about this. The interpretation was wrong. All the rabbis were wrong. They were jealous. They were envious of all that Jesus was doing. I mean, they, they spent their whole life saying, here comes the Messiah. We can't wait for the Messiah. Then when he shows up, they're jealous that he's stronger than they are. He's more powerful. He's more popular. I didn't think he was going to kick. You can just see him all kicking the dust. Well, nobody follows me anymore. So they hated Christ. So they killed him. Peter's trying to explain that to him. You guys need to repent. This has always been foretold by all the prophets. Here's one of the prophets, or here's one of the things. Verse 22. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. This is very Jewish what you're watching what you saw happen in the upper room, what you're witnessing here with this guy who just got healed, what you hear coming out of our mouths is very Jewish. It's very much the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is nothing new. We're not asking you to join a cult. This is so fulfilling of all Scripture. This is a relief to them. You are sons of the prophets. And of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. What a wonderful moment. This man that came didn't come to judge. He came to set you free from all of your sin, to set you free from all of your iniquities. What a relief as Peter has taken them in that short amount of time from you guys killed the Messiah, God raised him up, but that was all on purpose because he wanted to save you from your sins. I mean, what an emotional roller coaster that, however long that took him to say. Took us about 10 minutes, probably took him five. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, they were cut to the heart again. They're changed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 9, Back to the Holy Spirit. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. And that, that line of thought goes on and on, and, I, and you should read it so you understand. But, but reading it doesn't make it happen. I'm just saying just so you understand. It's very normal for all those things to take place in the believer's life. Some are given some gifts, some are given other gifts. What I wanted to focus on there was some were given the gift of faith. Now, everybody's given a measure of faith, and I'll read that passage here in a minute. But some are given faith, like an extra bit of it. Like they just, I don't know what it is. Like this moment right here, I don't know that I would have reached out to this guy who was laying there begging for money. I'd have been like, ah, oh, man, I'll catch you up on the way out, you know. 
Maybe I would. Maybe I'd have that faith. Maybe I wouldn't. I believe God gives us that faith in that moment, crazy moments in our life. You, you feel crazy. I've had crazy moments. I don't have that faith all the time. There are some times when I don't talk to the guy next to me or the gal next to me at the plane. I just don't. Selfishness, whatever reason, there's some things that, things that come up. But there have been times in my life where I have listened to the Holy Spirit and have obeyed and had to take a deep breath and jump. That's what it felt like. It felt just like that. I've done some pretty weird stuff. I've bungee jumped in my life, and that's exactly what that, that feels like. And you're standing on the edge of the platform, and they've got the thing stride around your ankles, and you're looking down, and you're thinking, well, when it comes to the flesh like this, pride says you can't go back down. You know, the girl in front of you jumped. You've got to jump kind of thing. But there's that thing that has to happen, and you just say, I've got to just let go and jump, and you just do it, and all of a sudden you're having fun. Well, kind of. <laughs> Terrified fun, however you want to look at it. And that's the best way I can describe the moments I've had with the Holy Spirit, giving me the faith to do something crazy at the moment, is it just, you just, you got to open your mouth and say it. It's the strangest thing. Everything in you wants to just... So how long are we headed on the flight? It's just that. I just got to say it. And you can look right away, and either they look at you like, oh, man. Or they say, well, I'm going over here. I'm going to see my wife. Uh, things haven't been going well. I mean, what an open door. He didn't have to say that. I'm going there for business. I'm going there. I mean, there's a million things that person could have said, but I'm going there to see my wife because things haven't been going well. Really? What's been happening? That's all he had to say. And all of a sudden, it just starts happening. People want help. People desperately want hope. They want a solution. They want answers. They want anything. And they're at times when their moment's right, when the Holy Spirit is there, that happens. And they're ready to hear. They say, well, then you get there. But you get there slowly and you let the Holy Spirit. He will give you what you need to say at that moment. He'll feed you the lines. You don't have to memorize it. Okay, so... 1 Corinthians 12 talks about divorce, and here's what it says about, you don't have to do that. Just listen. Understand. Talk to them. Just open your mouth by faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I put that in there because... The faith to respond to the gospel has been given to you by God. I think that's where sometimes uh, the Calvinists get a little confused, is they think that the faith is automatically acted upon. It's not. It's been given to you. You can respond, but you don't have to respond. I think that's where we get mixed up with this verse. Everybody's been given a measure of faith. They can respond if they want to use it. They don't have to walk by faith. I don't have to open my mouth and talk to this guy. I could be given the faith to do it and then say no. Prophecy is one of those examples. The prophecy is subject to the prophet. I don't have to share the prophecy. The Holy Spirit may have given me a prophecy to share with somebody, and I could say, I'm not going to do it. I could say no. I've been given opportunities to teach when I first just got saved, and my pastor says, hey, you want to fill in for me? You bet, I said by faith. <laughs> and I just got nervous and stomach and, oh my goodness, I don't want to do this. And I hate speaking in public and everything about it just makes me sick to my stomach. So finally I called up and I said, I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm, I'm sick. Jenny can testify to that. Hmm. I've been given the gift to teach. Had been recognized already. Somebody had already said that. You're a good teacher. Thanks. Still makes me want to puke. <laughs> sometimes I don't want to puke, or sometimes I want to go through the feeling. Sometimes I just want to say no, and I can. Faith is given, but it doesn't have to be acted upon. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Faith is not of you, it's of God. He's given it to you. But then he also asks us to act upon it, to use it. You don't have to, though. Mark chapter 14, verse 61. But he kept silent and answering nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now, I say that because this verse 22, this quote from Moses, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. That's the standard answer for Jews today as to why they didn't believe in Jesus, because he claimed to be the Son of God, whereas Moses has declared to us we're looking for a Messiah who's just like him, fully man. Not fully man and fully God, which is who Jesus was, just fully man. So we reject this Messiah of yours, that polite to say, well, he's the Messiah of the Gentiles. But they don't really believe that either. They just think you're crazy, okay? But that's their reasoning. We're looking for someone like Moses said, but that isn't true. That's a new thing that rabbis have come up with. Because of this verse, in Mark chapter 14, verse 61, that's the Jewish leaders at the time are asking, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? They knew very well that he was going to be the son of God. They knew very well that the Messiah that was coming was going to be supernatural. Yeah, he's going to be just like Moses, but he's going to be the son of God. We know that from Isaiah. It's only recently that they've changed this around to say, no, we're looking for someone who's just, just a man. That'll be really convenient when the Antichrist comes. Because he's going to be just a man, born of an earthly mother and father. He's going to rise up in political power. He's going to be a blessing to Israel. He's going to build their temple. He's going to make an agreement with them for three and a half years, or actually for seven, but three and a half years into the agreement, he sets himself up as God in the temple, and they realize they've made a tremendous mistake. That switching of philosophy and theology, from what we know from Mark 14, they believed that back then, to what they believe now to just justify not following Jesus is going to get them primed and ready for the Antichrist. And they do. There is a peril of not progressing. I'm not so sure I have enough time to do. I'm not going to do chapter four. So let me run through these cross-references for you that I have in my holster ready to go, okay, for a moment like this. In Hebrews chapter six, that is the title of Hebrews chapter six in your Bible should be a lot of time, the peril of not progressing, moving forward. Now, I think that's important because I think God gave me that scripture for tonight because I feel like maybe we're in that place, a lot of us, where we're not moving forward with God. We plateaued, we become stale or whatever it is. And here's why I believe. I think it's, it came up, David, with our conversation we were having with a certain gentleman online. And that was, was just very eye-opening to me. And um, he's still chewing on mine, because he's already given me a thumbs up, like, because I didn't respond. Uh, you don't need to hear that. <laughs> he just wanted to make sure everybody knew that there was no baptism of the Holy Spirit, that you get everything you get, you get everything you get when you first get saved. There's nothing after that. And yet you've got these scriptures that we just read about breathing on them to receive the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, being baptized with the Spirit, Acts chapter 4 next week. Again, being filled with the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. The same people getting filled with the Spirit. The peril of not progressing. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, Hebrews. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of the faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, plural, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. The writer of Hebrews is saying we are stuck in mud. We cannot progress with Christ because we're still trying to lay these foundational principles. We can't go on to the good stuff because we don't have this stuff down. We can't grow. 
The doctrine of baptisms is very important. There are probably nine different baptisms spoken of in Scripture. One of them is water. That's the one we focus on. That's what most people focus on is the water baptism. That's great. It's definitely there. But there's also a baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's different. There's also a baptism of fire. Jesus taught, let me read some scriptures to you. Matthew chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who's coming after me is mightier than I. I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Two separate baptisms, all in one verse. Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and he's going to baptize you with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There is going to be that which burns away the flesh. There's trials and tribulations in our life does that. Matthew chapter 20, verses 22. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Wait, he's already been water baptized. What's this new baptism? Baptism of trials. He's going to go to the cross. And they said, We are able. Mm. Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 50. I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Another baptism through trials. It's very important we understand these principles, so I'm laying these foundations. When we go through trials and tribulations, we're being baptized. Everybody loves water baptism. Sunday was great. Cool, refreshing, (laughs) exciting pictures. Great. Now there's another baptism we get to go through. It's a baptism of fire. Line up. What's that like? Oh, trials, tribulations that makes you want to cry mama or daddy, you know, that takes away all the flesh, makes it rise to the top so you can skim it off and make you more pure. Ain't no photo op for that. That's important. First Corinthians. Chapter 12, verse 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. This is the scripture used. Of course, the Holy Spirit brings people to Christ and baptizes us into one body, Jesus. And yet, Mark 1, 8, he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. Christ baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I want to run through those. I don't know how to conclude this, except what we're reading in the book of Acts, and I know I've said it already, is the acts of the Holy Spirit working through the church. It's not historical only. It's not for reference. It's not for tradition. It's a horrible thing to happen to what happens in the book of Acts to make it a tradition that we just follow. Luke is trying to get across to Theophilus here that he wrote to, the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon men who believe on Jesus Christ and the world's never been the same since. That's the idea. The Holy Spirit needs to come upon everybody in this room so that the world is never the same, that Maryville is never the same, that Iowa, wherever you're from, Bedford, Clorinda, whatever, or a tiny burb of is never the same because they're surrounded by Christians that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Obedient to walk by faith, to when given the faith, step out by faith and act upon that faith and do what God's called them to do. Act. Act. The acts of the Holy Spirit. Not the thoughts, not the doctrine, but the acts of the Holy Spirit. We have to act. So we're going to pray tonight that not only have we been water baptized and saved by Jesus Christ, baptized by the Holy Spirit into one body, but that Jesus might baptize us with the Holy Spirit. They might fill us and do us with him powerful on high, like he did in Acts 2, like he did in the first one, and, and then also Acts 4, which we'll read next week, and throughout all of the New Testament, that we'd be filled with the Spirit and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
that we had victory in our lives over sin because we're fulfilling the lust or the, the, the desire of the Holy Spirit and not the lust of the flesh. That the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we have, and maybe you've never used them before, you'd use them, that we'd use them. That it wouldn't just be a bunch of words that we memorized, but that the power of the Holy Spirit would emphasize and put an explanation point upon the doctrine that we're trying to share with people, the truth, the gospel that we're trying to share. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you that we are one with you that you've given us the seal of the Holy Spirit, that we're saved, that we're going to heaven, and this is not that that we're talking about. We are talking about being baptized with your Holy Spirit. And throughout this book of Acts, as we see them moved with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit, come under the power of the Holy Spirit, and they see these wonderful things take place, God. Well, that has never ended. Despite what any denomination teaches, Your word doesn't teach that. The book of Acts is an unending book. We're in it. So, Lord, we pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that we would walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to conquer sin, to have victory, but also that we might, by faith, help those around us. Jesus was constantly reaching out to people, being a blessing, laying hands on people, teaching them in such a way that they could understand sharing with them the truth, but also feeding them and healing them in wonderful works. We pray for that. That as you fill us with the Spirit, you give us the faith to operate, help us to step out by faith, open our mouths, heal, give prophecy, speak in tongues, that we might do all those things that you list and give us, Lord, through your word, that we wouldn't be a powerless church. We'd be powerful because we haven't excluded you from us. We haven't rejected you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word and the encouragement that it brings us, the sword of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.